So tell us uh, where you're calling from, what, what your what your name is, and maybe just talk, talk about a little bit at the beginning how you how you got into the uh, the mental health. Well, my name is Max Weissman. I'm a child and adolescent therapist who works here in Asheville, North Carolina. I specifically work with only boys ages 13 to 25 during like this stage of change life. Uh, initially, got into the field probably like two decades ago. I moved to Asheville, North. Carolina. Carolina from New York to get a job at Seuss of the Carolinas. Seuss is a wilderness therapy program taking boys in the woods who had either previously gotten in trouble or had previously been unsuccessful in their life. It's kind of a program that lasts anywhere from a month to two months to kind of stabilize children in need. So I think in 2003 is when I moved to Asheville, North Carolina doing wilderness therapy. After staying in wilderness therapy, Great job, but honestly, it's a burnout position. You work two weeks on and two weeks off, and it's just hard to like keep together a life. So I transitioned from that, from working at a mental health agency, a place called Universal Mental Health here, seeing clients individually. After that, I worked for Bunsen County Schools, which is the you know big school system in Western North Carolina, for 13 years. Initially as a school counselor, and then I transitioned into the lead of something called the BCATS program. BCAT stood for Buncombe County Alternative Suspension. You know, previously in North Carolina, when a student would be suspended, they'd have to stay at home for anywhere from three to 10 days. Also in North Carolina, if you miss five days of school, you were a day for the year. So honestly, like people who were suspended became pushouts, not dropouts. You know, they didn't have the attendance, they were struggling with other issues. So I designed the BCATS program where we took students in who were suspended and Basically, they did group therapy for half the day and worked on academics half the day. You know, after several years in that position, moved into like just solo private practice, and now I continue to do that. So, what what got you into that? Yeah, specifically working with uh, males, the age of that age group. What what um, how do you zero in on that uh, know, demographic? Good, good question. Honestly. See, like my, my own path with therapy started when I was about 16 years old. I was getting into um, trouble in high school. Honestly, I know we're talking about trauma, but there are probably some like individual traumas I point out that led for like escapism by me. For me, that led to like skipping school, partying, drugs, all those things. And, you know, started therapy at that time. Honestly, you know, I went to Seuss when I was 17 years old, the wilderness therapy program I later worked in and just found it like eye opening. You know, so honestly, my heart goes out to a lot of like teen boys in our culture. It's kind of a difficult time and a difficult structure to grow up. Not to mention like when I worked at Universal Mental Health, I worked with adults and like adults are great to work with, but change comes about much slower. The nice thing about working with teens is, you know, in as few as like five to seven sessions, you can see a difference, whereas like, I'm an adult, I go to therapy, and I've been going for years. It's kind of like a gradual, deeper process where teens are kind of just like, you process what's going on, and then, you know, basically you hopefully teach them how to take better care of themselves, and then they continue doing so. You know, the reason I only work with males is initially when I started working with teens, I worked with females, and there was always just like this weird energy, and like, you know, you hear about these potential pitfalls, and it just never felt comfortable. Not to mention teens have like relationships and like sex is such a big deal. And I know we have to cross that and like asking a girl to tell me about how she lost her virginity is not going to feel appropriate. It's not going to feel like the door is open. But with another male who's experiencing these things, I could ask like, 
you know, tell me about your sex life. Let's, let's talk about that. It is kind of inflated peace during these adolescent teen years. And it's something that honestly, I feel like we tiptoe around sex and sexuality. And like one nice thing about being a counselor is to be directed to give children like the venue to talk about these things. So, you know, combination of my own path and, you know, just organically formed as well. And for you, you mentioned a few like traumas and what were some of those traumas that you said that you felt in your own life led you to getting treatments? Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about like, you know, one of my friends who's a therapist says one of the best things about therapists is never having to talk about ourselves. We just <laughs> listen. Um, but, you know, so we're never given that spot. But for me, my trauma had to do with like family friction. You know, I had a sister who, an older sister who had high needs. She had difficulty in school and warranted most of my parents' attention. And that being said, I mean, in studying like sibling order, I was a middle child and I always had like one foot out the door and one foot in the door. You know, during my middle school years, my parents had a lot of friction. There was a lot of arguing. I just remember several of these like vivid memories of being woken up by my sister and being like, mom and dad are at it again. What are we going to do? And like, you know, just these experience that probably wouldn't rock anybody, but like rock my world. And as a consequence, like maybe not a consequence, but as a result of kind of like this friction at home and like my parents conflicting and my sister getting all the attention, I slowly started to self-care, take myself and step away. I stepped away from my family, stepped away from my siblings and started to find respite in friends. Probably other people who were looking for respite from their own traumas in life. And you know, impulsive, again, people who didn't really care about school, people again, who wanted to self-medicate with drugs. You know, really like the trauma was not like a specific thing or a specific incident. It was kind of like one of these long periods from like seventh to eighth grade with just a lot of conflict with my parents. And as a result, like, I just naturally wanted to avoid the situation. I think that's a big piece when we talk about trauma. There's an idea of, you know, grief is kind of sadness, whereas trauma is kind of like terror and avoidance. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely like avoiding the home situation as much as possible. Okay, interesting. You remember the, the movie Kids? By any chance? Yes, I do. Uh -huh. We're about close to the same, about the same age. And I, I remember that movie. I remember you're from New York, but there's this summer camp I went to Long Island. I remember we all were like, that was like that, at that time period, the movie, everybody was like, that just, I felt like sort of spoke to those times a little bit. I mean, I, I never really lived that type of life when I was at that age, but yeah, I was just wondering if you remember that movie. No, it's funny that you say it. Um, and I'm just going to throw out somebody's name. There's a character in um, the kids' movie called Jay Inkastani. That's his name. And, like, he moved to my high school. He oh, was really? In, the, wow. in high school. And he was automatically, like, the coolest kid yeah. because he presented, like, one of the, these skater badass kids. And, like, yeah. everyone in my suburb school was just like, who yeah. is this? So that's <laughs> who we all wanted to be and who we all wanted to emulate. If you watch kids now, Jeff, it's awful. It's like, yeah. it's terrible. <laughs> But at the time, it was yeah. so cool. It was awesome. It was escapism. You know, it was avoidance. It was... No, and I also remember, actually, one of the things that, the, that sort of links to it now is Rosario Dawson, that I saw her at this, this political uh, thing in Miami a couple of years ago about getting Latin people to vote. And I just remember, like, I, yeah, I, I just had a 
yeah, that link to her being in kids and now she's not so young anymore, <laughs> like over 40. But. I didn't even realize she was in kids. I yeah. can't even remember. That would be amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. But anyway, so anyway, any, well, I, I want to ask you this, this question. This, I feel this is the annoying question I always get when I go to these networking events. So what, what would you say your ideal client is? I don't know. I'm like, I'm noticing myself like think of answers and like quick witty responses. And then I'm trying to like edit myself because you know, one of the first things I was going to say comes across weird, but I was going to say temporary, a client who, you know, has the capability, a client who has the ability to like kind of learn and grow through an incident. So I definitely like the clients who I work with for short term, just because like, there's less worry. There's less concern about them in the future. You know, there are certain kids who you're like, eight sessions, we're going to be done. He's going to be doing much better in his life. And he's going to go off to college. And like, I have these feelings, you know, that's kind of an egotistical answer because it's less worry for me. You know, besides that, I would say, you know, young men, young boys have oftentimes don't have the language to express themselves. So sometimes some of these boys who, um, are eager to learn, who are eager to know how to express themselves are sometimes fun to work with where it's just teaching vocabulary and like, yeah, you're angry and pissed off and punching walls all the time, but maybe there's something going on underneath and like just to give them that venue to explore. I mean, what type of problems, like what type of family, like situations or things of that nature? You know, the biggest thing I'm seeing, Jeff, Dr. Friedman, I'm not sure Dr. Friedman, Uh the biggest thing I'm seeing these days is anxiety. You know, when I think I first started off in mental health, like around, you know, 2003, 2004, I was seeing like a ton of like depression and anger and some anxiety and some PTSD. It's interesting. In like the last three years, I would say 50% of my caseload is anxiety, be it social anxiety or anxiety of the future. Honestly, I think it has to do with like the speed of the world right now. And I think, you know, things are moving so quick and so fast. But half the clients, you know, come in for anxiety. You know, I enjoy that clientele. I experience my own anxiety. And like, there's also, you know, not only can you teach tools with anxiety, such as like meditation, breathing, other things, you know, there's so much to explore about control and power. And I feel like I'm enjoying the inflated anxiety cases I've seen. All right, cool. So what about any, I know, I know a lot of therapists are related to trauma. They like a lot of the different modalities. Do you do any particular modalities you like to uh, use with people that have trauma, PTSD kind of symptoms? Yeah, you know, I definitely think it's hard to even tell you like what percentage of my caseload has been through trauma to a degree. I want to say like everyone's been through trauma right. growing up in this country coming to age is traumatic and you know, it's not just abuse because not everyone who's abused experienced trauma or anything like that. You know, so I think that being said, like incident specific traumas, I'd say about a quarter, maybe like 10% of my, you know, caseload has been through things. You know, generally what I really enjoy doing is not only talking about it, but oftentimes boys, in fact, everyone when it comes to trauma has difficulty expressing themselves. I really believe that like one of the keys as a therapist when dealing with someone with trauma is to help them retell the story, to give them power. You know, for the children I work with, for the kids, oftentimes I use drawing or art or even role plays or acting out or even some of the gestalt pieces where like the empty chair responding because, you know, oftentimes there's not the language to express myself, to express themselves. 
my favorite thing to do is, yeah, drawing. You know, I once had a client, you know, had a terrible house fire and, you know, lost his cat and his dog and all his stuff. And he didn't want to talk about it. His parents were concerned. He's socially isolated from all his friends who was pulling away. And no matter how much we tried to talk about it, he couldn't. So I tried like drawing activities and he drew, drew like a rudimentary <laughs> drawing of like a house with a little fire. And like, it gave me the venue to ask open-ended questions, you know, not just looking at him like, what is this? Oh, the house. What's going on here? You know, who's inside? What's happening? Can you draw me a picture of inside? It kind of, you know, drawing and other sensory interventions, I think are really helpful just to give people that opportunity to retell the story. Yeah, you know, the people I work with in particular, like can't be stared at across the couch and like, like tell me about the house fire. Like it would just shut them down. It's too much, it would create emotional flooding. So giving them the opportunity to like tell their stories in vignettes and like art in, you know, again, role plays have even done with people tend to work really well. What about, do you find that some of the, the, the ma- your young uh, males you work with feel comfortable crying in therapy? Do you find, do they? It's, it, it's rare, to be quite honest. You know, I, I wish it wasn't. And oftentimes I find myself saying, like, it's okay if you need to cry. Like, you could let go. And like, you know, I've even probably teared up, you know, as children have told me stories and just found like my own reaction but I think there's still like this idea of like masculinity that interferes with crying in public. Um, of course I encourage it and tell people to do it and it's cathartic, but it's hard. Yeah, no, I remember when I, when I worked at this uh, adolescent treatment program in Fort Lauderdale, that one of the observations I had that I thought was interesting related to this is that the, a lot of the boys w- w- would come in and they'd want to like talk one-on-one and they would cry but then they would be very conscious like to make them look like they didn't cry when they went back out to the, the community. They didn't want any, any other, other boys to see that they cried. I thought that was funny. You know, it's, I think there is like this interesting piece where like, generally, when I work with people under 18, I, I save the last 10 minutes for like their parents and them to come together. I'll meet with like the 17 year olds for like 40 minutes and then meet with them and their parent. And like whether they've had an emotional, experience or like frustrated as soon as their parent comes in it's game face you know it's like yeah. no emotion like everything <laughs> is fine you did that rub your your forehead thing i see that a lot like yeah. that like i'm angry i'm sour i'm sad okay everything's fine because everything's supposed to be fine because i'm probably not worthy of love if i'm not fine or whatever else the narrative is going on so um a little different topic. I, re- I remember you, you were telling me about the Asheville the therapeutic, well, well, therapist community. Anything, how, how, anything new with that these days? I'm trying to think, you know, every once in a while, the hardest part about being like a therapist in this community, I think, is everyone kind of lives in their own world. It's like, you know, a lone wolf. Every Once every two weeks, I probably get on the line with another therapist or a, a young therapist comes comes to town or maybe an older transplant comes to town and wants to pick my brain and I really enjoy those opportunities. You know, recently I've met two other people who work with young males, which is kind of nice because honestly I feel like I've been the one person in town who specializes in this population. The two people, like one person is doing only house 
visits, doesn't have an office, which I think is pretty cool. I wouldn't want to drive all around visiting <laughs> people, but I think for people, that sounds kind of nice to have your therapist come into your house. And the other person is slightly like, you know, a Christian religious counselor, which also fills a niche in this community. But honestly, like, Asheville's probably about a hundred thousand in population right now. And like, I felt pretty alone as a, a male therapist who works with teens until just recently. You know, honestly, I feel like there's an amazing number of female therapists I work with who are great, you know, but just being like of the male gender, I think it allows me to work with boys a little bit easier. So, you know, we're seeing slow changes. There's still a need in our community. The one nice thing about Asheville specific is, you know, in North Carolina, it's a very liberal city. It's a very progressive city. And a lot of people I know are open to therapy. A lot of people my age talk about their own therapist. It just seems to be like half the population in Asheville wants therapy, wants growth. So that kind of leaves a lot of doors. There are a lot of therapists here, but most of the therapists I know are working with like 15, 20 clients a week and are not in it for like the money or working with a lot of people, which allows a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of the use of the house call therapist, there, there's this, I can't think of the name of it right now, but there's this, uh, the, the video is getting all choppy. The, this, uh, this new therapy app uh, startup that I thought was an interesting concept that, that rather than just sort of the, the telehealth their concept was is that you could you could list like if you want to meet with your clients in a in like a public space like a park you could list that you'd meet with clients and you could list different locations so I thought, I thought it was kind of an interesting concept like bridging the sort of the in between the office and the the online kind of medium I think that would be great honestly if you would agree like sometimes like when my clients are stuck here in the office I go for walks yeah. And like sometimes that is like a catalyst for conversation. You know, it's also cool to see my clients who are socially anxious. Like sometimes we walk by people their age and like you, you notice things like, whoa, you got tight there when you saw other people. Um, what's that about? <laughs> I think it could be cool. What do you think? No, no, I like the concept. I signed up for it, but I, I mean, there, uh, I put a few locations, but I, I haven't really, yeah, I haven't got, got anything from it, but it's uh, also a tough time with the COVID thing. But you know, I like the concept and uh, yeah, they're just working on getting it developed. So it had a funky name. I can't think of it right now, but uh, yeah, I thought they had a nice, the, the website had a nice design and it, 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 it integrates with Stripe, which I like. If you, you ever use Stripe? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, simple so, practice. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. You know, I think it could be interesting to meet at a park. I've definitely, you know, especially as I talk about anxiety on the rise, like, and social anxiety, I think exposure therapy has a place, you know, the idea of like, here's somebody uncomfortable ordering at a restaurant. We're going to go into a bakery and order a cookie and see how you do. I definitely think, uh, I always remember in grad school, someone saying like, therapy is like, you know, watching the game film for a football game. It's not the game, it's not important, but it's like where you review and kind of like plan ahead. You yeah. know, the real work is outside of the therapy office. So I like that idea of bridging like the real work and like, and like again, the review, like seeing people in public could be a neat idea. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, they're selling, they're not selling point, is their uh, focus is kind of what you were talking, they call it that kind of walk and talk, but there's some research on it that you do the therapy sort of 
walking and talking kind of thing. That's sort of yeah. This whole coronavirus thing wasn't going on. I, I think I'd explore that as well. Yeah, you know, the one no, guy, it's a little bit difficult with the uh, the six feet apart a distance. <laughs> oh, totally. I have met with one person, one client since the stay at home ordinance, and uh, he was just struggling. I met with him twice during the video and just saw like more isolated each time. So I decided to meet with him. We both had masks on and we were six feet oh, apart. Wow. It was so very. <laughs> Um, it just felt so uncomfortable, like walking up a street side by side, being like, so tell me about your mom again, you know, yeah. what's happening? It just, yeah. Are you doing, so you are doing a lot of video uh, stuff now? Or, um, yeah, all, all my, um, yeah. you know, I give my clients a choice between like video calls or phone calls. Most of them choose video. Some prefer phone calls, which is nice for me because I feel like almost I have an easier time focusing on a phone call than a video call. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all telehealth. Thing. No, but I, I, I've been finding, I don't know if you have, that, that, that the telehealth, especially the video, can be more draining than actually meeting in person. Have you found that at all? Oh, totally. You're right. Like staring at a computer yeah. screen is a lot. Like, you know, I think it takes more focus too. Like, I've never noticed, like, honestly, like how much I pay attention to people's legs in therapy till telehealth really started. <laughs> like, you know, oftentimes when a client taps his leg, I usually am like, what's going on? Like, Dr. Friedman, you must be thinking of something else. Your leg is tapping or like just seeing like the little shifts. Like I'm noticing you have to pay attention much closer with telehealth. Yeah, there's was, there was a good article I just saw about that, and that's basically what they were saying. That was, I've been finding it personally. It's just I'm more tired, and uh, they they were saying that yeah, because you do have to focus more. Exactly what you're saying due to the, the the video and conscious of the the software is not working. It's just yeah, and then it's in that sense it can be more draining. But uh, oh, it's a so how's it working for you? By the way, are you? How's, you know, are you I've using a lot of Zoom telehealth right? before. The only thing I've really done different is I've, I've used it before. I don't know if you've ever used any of these platforms like Better Health. I've been doing more of that, that pro, um, inter yeah, seeing clients with that on their platform, Better Health. Have you ever used them? What is Better Health? I've heard of it. I don't know it's what it is. a startup. It's a mental health startup that, I mean, you, they, they offer uh, like text, audio, or video. And going back to what you were saying before, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I don't know if you've found it with, the, with some of the adolescents you work with, some of the younger generation, I feel they'd rather just text than actually have like a, they're more comfortable in texting than they are uh, in person or video, but which I, I'd rather much rather talk than do text. But no, you're right. I, I definitely agree with that. I actually got a text last week from a client who was like, you know, who's texting me. I've worked with him for a couple of years and he's texting me and telling me he's going through something. And oftentimes I'll pick up the phone and be like, I've got a couple of minutes if you want to just vent. And he texted me last week saying like, I just want to text, please don't call me. Right. Um, and I just thought that was, you know, he was used to me picking up the phone because yeah. that's my comfort zone. Yeah. Like, okay, it just went down with your family. You probably just need like two minutes to complain about it and then you'll be doing better. Right. But now you're clearly, you want to do that over text. Yeah, I mean, for me, texting, I, I like to use it more for like just sending out information. But, but to me, does it actually have like a, more of a dialogue it just takes longer than just picking up the phone you can solve in two minutes whereas texting it could go on for like hours oh totally 
I text slow. I would be like, Dr. Freeman, how are you doing? Wait, that doesn't sound right. Dr. Freeman, it's been a while. How are, oh, sh you know, I feel like, whereas like talking, you just like let it roll and you can't edit, but the yeah. editing gets to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I just overthink every text I feel like. Um, I need to get better about that and emojis is the other thing I need to work on. Yeah, so, so one question I'd like to ask everybody is, so do you have any, any particular quote that uh, comes to mind that inspires you? I always put a, I have a, like a whiteboard in my office. I put a quote, <laughs> my Monday like centering activity is like looking for the quote for the week. So here is my quote wow. for the week. I don't know if you- Be patient, be patient with yourself. With yeah, nothing in nature blooms all year. I like that. Yeah, oftentimes, when I wrote this quote, I was just thinking about like, I think a lot of people are starting to get frustrated with the stay at home ordinance and like with their own process. And, you know, I just felt like this week called for patience. So I, I like that quote, be patient with yourself. Nothing blooms all year. I think we have unrealistic expectations to be happy all the time and grateful all the time. And like everything should be wonderful. And like something's terribly wrong where it's like, yeah, it's, it's you know, bad times lead to good times. All right, so, so if you can invite two people over for dinner, anybody that's living or dead, who, who would you pick and why? Living people. I definitely wouldn't want oh. dead people over. <laughs> um, besides that, any two people. You know, since I'm in this position of being a therapist now, probably if you caught me after hours, I wouldn't say this, but Irving Yellow is a therapist. I'd be very curious to meet and pick his brain. Those I've met him, actually, but... We'll yeah i don't know but like um i probably want to meet him and pick his brain and like one of my favorite books is the gift of therapy yeah it's a great book and i really like just go back to it over and over and over and it's so simple you know it's so it's like just like stating the positive and another therapist and he is dead so it would fritz pearls i don't know if you know like the father oh, yeah. of gestalt therapy yeah. These are my other favorite quotes, which is, I'm going to read it. It's bleak, though. Or maybe it's not bleak. I do my thing, and you do your thing. I'm not in this world to live up to your expectations, and you are not in this world to live up to mine. You are you, and I am I. And if by chance we find each other, it is beautiful. If not, it can't be helped. So there's some... Not to mention, I don't know if you could see what he looks like. Yeah. <laughs> looks like a wise old sage who you'd want to have over for dinner. All right. Okay. Well, I, I've been asking this question to all my, my Jewish guests. So, so I guess I'm <laughs> stereotyping a little bit here, but so if you, if you ordered a bagel, what would you put on it? If I ordered a bagel? Oh man. Um, so hard. Isn't there a different day? What day is it today? I probably, today I would order just cream cheese, probably a plain cream cheese onion bagel, though. Okay, why, why, why like onion? onion bagels too. Why onion? Yeah, <laughs> tastes so good. I don't know. <laughs> but then there's a non-traditional bagel. There's a place called Bruger's Bagels. It's one of the only bagel shops in Asheville. It's a chain, but they make something called like a Western bagel, which is pretty sweet. It's an egg, and yes, there's bacon on it. I know like burgers, but, but I'm, I'm surprised in Asheville they don't have like your kind of you know hipster bagel place. They they got to open. Actually, there is a yeah. hipster bagel place, <laughs> and the bagels are great. They're expensive. Yeah, 
full lava. I mean, there's just like dense, like seedy, like eating sprouts and wheatgrass and microgreen bagels. Um, okay. So yeah, but that sounds a little like bit more hip, like uh, hip hippie than hipster. <laughs> it's kind of it's hippie hipster. There's a yeah. fine line. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay, so then one more. Then you 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 are happiest when and fill in the blank. I am happiest when. Mm. I'm happiest now, man. Honestly, like, I don't know if that's the right answer, but like when I look back over my life, that's one of the best things about getting old. I feel like I'm less hard on myself. You know, I, I, I know, I think growing up, I used to like hear this mantra of like, enjoy youth, enjoy it when you're young. And like, that was always felt like pressure. And I always thought growing up would suck. I always thought like being, you know, in the forties wouldn't be a good thing. But honestly, like, I feel like I'm gentler and kinder to myself. I understand myself better than now, better than ever. I feel like in a year I'll even outgrow that. So I'm happiest now. Also, I have two young children and a wife in a small house. I work with clients all day long. I'm also happiest when I'm alone, man, and things are quiet. I enjoy that. I don't have much of that these days. So we always want what we don't have, either, you know? You have company, you don't want company anymore. You have silence, you don't want silence anymore. I have like chaos and noise and clutter, so I definitely like quiet. All right, Max. Well, thanks a lot for joining me this uh, morning. Any any final words to share? No, Dr. Friedman, it's always good seeing you, man. It's always good talking to you. I feel like um, just honored that every couple of years our paths wind up and I don't know when we're going to talk again, but the nice thing is I know we're going to talk again at some point. Likewise. Um, uh, hopefully, maybe I, I could come up to Asheville this summer if this, this kind of stay-at-home uh, order is lifted sometime in the near future. I know. We had summer plans to go to Florida, by the way. Yeah. We'll be down there in July, and I don't know if my mother-in-law canceled the Airbnb or not yet. But uh, Oh, nice. Where about? Where you... It was somewhere, oh my gosh, uh, somewhere south of Tampa on the uh, west. Sarasota? Yeah, somewhere like Sarasota. Right, right, so like it's it's peaceful. It's beautiful there. Um, I actually, since I last spoke with you, I moved to. I'm in South Beach now. How are you liking it, man? Yeah, it's good. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. Okay. Is it empty right now? Or are people at the beach, or what's going on? Oh yeah, the beach is totally shut down. But and they're the earliest they're going to open up the beach again is going to be June. Crazy. How's it? Does it feel weird out and stuff like that? Are people like? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that's, uh, is everybody's obsessed with working out here, which I think is well, it's just funny how like initially, like since all the gyms were closed, people moved to the parks, and then the the they shut down the parks, and now everybody's like finding these little like there's this little area behind my building that's overlooking the bay, and there's a little bit of grassy space, and people are and do their workouts there and uh, wow but, but i think one of the downs oh i mean one of the the negatives uh in terms of managing this virus when they shut things down and people like congregate in smaller areas which i think is oh, totally problematic. no it's it's definitely strange watching that happen like yeah. just how your hordes yeah well um, all right well uh enjoy the rest of your day and uh till we meet again max Till we meet again, always good seeing you. I'll talk to you when I talk to you, man. Peace. Bye.